So today, as we get ready to look at our series, Love Lessons, we come to the second attribute of love, which happens to be kindness. And it's always a good way to start a series on kindness by pieing people in the face. Now, I didn't know that was coming, um, but I wouldn't recommend that. But today, as we look at this second attribute, because remember, 1 Corinthians 13.4 says that love is patient and secondly, love is kind. And as we look at that, we have a culture today that is telling us an opposite message. And the culture is telling us this message, that love is blind. But the Word of God says that love is kind, not blind. And the challenge for each of us today is very simply this. Are we going to have a blind love or a kind love? A love that that looks away and ignores the heartache in this world or a love that not only sees but chooses to serve. You see, love is not blind. It sees the faults and failures of other people, but it chooses to serve. It chooses to love. You see, love doesn't look through a microscope. Love looks through a telescope. And yet it's so hard for us to be kind in the culture in which we live. Because we have created today a calloused culture, an uncaring culture, not a kind culture. And so when you and I try to live out what God's Word tells us, and that is to be kind, what happens? Well, people start to suspect us. They're suspicious of us. They they call our character into question. This guy's being kind. What's, what's, he, what's he really want? Well, this has happened to many of you. You're kind and people take advantage of you. They kind of run you over. So why should we be kind? Well, number one, Scripture says that we are called and commanded to be kind. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 Get rid of all anger, rage, bitterness, slander, and every other form of evil. Instead, be kind to one another, forgiving one another just as Christ has forgiven you. Now, why would Christ command us to be kind, especially in a calloused culture? Because what does kindness do to your relationships? It cultivates your relationship. But you see, that anger, that bitterness, those other evil behaviors, they don't cultivate relationship. They kill relationship. So Christ wants you and I to be kind to the people around us to cultivate those relationships. Secondly, we need to be kind because when we're kind, we reflect the very character of Jesus Christ who was kind to us. Do you realize that kindness is one of the simplest ways to reveal that you're a Christian? Kindness is one of the simplest ways to share Jesus with people, just a kind word, a kind gesture. A kind heart. Kindness has drawn more people to Christianity than anything else. Mark Twain said this, that kindness is the language that allows the blind to see and the deaf to hear. I love that quote. Because kindness cuts through every single language and it touches people at their heart. A third reason that you and I need to be kind is because it reflects the grace of God. It reveals that we get God's grace. Remember Romans 5, 8. That God loved us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated that love to us. When we were sinners, when we were opposed to God, when we weren't living for God, 
he still chose to love us and not just to say that he loved us, but to show it by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And so you and I, we need to be asking ourselves the question, am I loving people with kindness? Have I responded to this incredible gift that God has given me, this gift of eternal life? The Bible says that we've all sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, that we cannot save ourselves by our good works, but it is only through the cross of Calvary that we can be saved. That there has to be a point in our life where we admit that we're sinners and we ask Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. And when we do that, we become children of God. And so I want to ask you, has there been a point in your life where you have responded to the kindness of God and you have been saved and you are now a child of the King? And if there has been, are you living out that command of kindness in your life? It's easy for us to be calloused, isn't it? But we're called to be kind. So how do you and I, in this calloused culture, cultivate a Christ-like kindness? Well, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. If you've got your phone, your Bible with you, I think maybe we'll put it up on the screens. We're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 8. And it's here that we're going to see the Apostle Paul at a very challenging time in his life as he's in prison, what could be a very dark and discouraging time. Now, this whole week, Pastor Ben has done a phenomenal job playing the part of the Apostle Paul. Can we give Ben a hand? And this is a time in Paul's life as he's in prison where what we will see is those who are kind to Paul and those who are calloused. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. 2 Timothy 1.8 and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I am in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live holy lives. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time. To show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of his, this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. So that is why I'm suffering here in prison. And I am not ashamed for it. For I know the one whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until his return. Hold on to the patent of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a patent shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Carefully guard the precious truth that has been trusted to you. And as you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me, even Phygelus and Imogenes. May the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and all of his family because he has often visited me and encouraged me. He has, was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. And when he came to Rome. He searched everywhere until he found me. May the Lord show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return. And you know very well how helpful he was in Ephesus. 
You see, the first key to cultivating a Christ-like kindness is that you and I need to learn to be sensitive. And that is a hard thing for us to hear in this culture. That we need to learn to be sensitive to the people around us and to see what's going on, just like Onesiphorus went ahead and did in, in Paul's life. He wasn't just focused on himself. So the question is this, how sensitive are you? Because every one of us is sensitive. Did you notice in the passage, they were all sensitive. Every one of those Christians was sensitive. Some were sensitive to self and saving their skin, and some were sensitive to service. If you look at your life, how much would you say you are sensitive to self and how much are you sensitive to serving? How often do you spend thinking about you and how often do you spend thinking about other people? We've got a culture that is telling us to be completely self-absorbed. Every commercial I listen to, you deserve it. It's all about you. You should buy this. It'll make you happy. Me, me, me is the message of our culture today. But that's not the message of the Word of God. You see, God calls us to be sensitive to other people. Do you realize that every single person that you met this week, every single person that you meet next week, needs a touch of kindness? Whether it's the person in the grocery store, whether it's the person at church in a pew, wherever you are in between, every single person needs a touch of kindness. What's our model? Jesus, right? When Jesus walked on this earth, he was sensitive to the needs of those around him. He was sensitive when it was supper time. And what did the disciples want to do? Let's send them away. Why? Because I don't want to have to deal with that. And Jesus said, no, we're going to feed them. You're going to feed them. But God, it's impossible. No, not if you're sensitive. You remember when the little children were wanting to come to Jesus and the parents were lining up waiting and the disciples were like, look, get rid of the kids. It's me time. It's disciple time. It's adult time. And what did Jesus say? He rebuked them. You need to be sensitive to the kids around you and the people around you. You remember that time when Jesus was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter? And he was on mission, and he was surrounded by this huge crowd, and this, this woman touched him, and he sensed that? That's how sensitive you and I need to be today. Now, most of us, we think we, we, what we do is incredibly important. Can I ask you, how many of your missions this week were life and death, that if you didn't get there, someone was going to die? Okay, let's put it in perspective. There are very few of us in this room today, and those of you listening online, that, that had an appointment that was life and death. Jesus had an appointment that was life and death, and yet he was still sensitive. He had a whole crowd of people pushing on him, and he was still sensitive. And when he said, who touched me, the disciples are like, look, there's a whole crowd of people. Everybody's bumping into you. But see, he recognized that woman that touched him. And it says that she reached for the hem of his garment. And what's significant about that is being a rabbi, he would have had a tassel off the end of his robe. It's called a tallit. Do you remember when David was in the cave and Saul was chasing him and, and Saul went back into the cave to go to the bathroom? And David snuck up and he cut off the corner of his robe. He cut off his tallit. That signifies your authority as a king. That signifies your authority as a rabbi. And what this woman did is she grabbed onto the authority of Jesus Christ and she was healed. Are you doing things in the authority of Jesus today? 
But what I love about Jesus is he stops. He's on mission. And he says, who touched me? She'd been healed. Who cared? Move on. But see, she needed more than just physical healing. She needed spiritual healing. She needed emotional healing. Because this was a woman with a bleeding issue for 12 years. And that meant that for 12 years she had been unclean. That meant that she couldn't touch a rabbi. The sentence for making him unclean potentially could have been stoned to death. And you know how Jesus dealt with that? He was sensitive to the scripture. He knew what could happen to her because she had touched him. And so he calls her daughter. Why? Because, see, there was a clause that allowed for family to touch you or for you to touch family if you were unclean. And what I love is Jesus saying, you know what? We're family. We're part of the family of God. It is okay for you to touch me. It is okay for you to access my power and for your life to be changed and to change the lives of those around you. But she also needed emotional healing, didn't she? Can you imagine not being able to go worship for 12 years? Can you imagine what that would do to your heart? Can you imagine basically everywhere you go, everybody knows you're unclean and, and everyone keeps their distance from you? But Jesus said, let me, let me listen to your stories. The first time she had had a rabbi listen to her. And so Jesus was sensitive to all of her needs, not just some of her needs. But that takes time. That takes you and I being willing to change our agendas and our calendars and to pay attention to what's going on in people's lives. And one of the reasons that we don't do that is because we think what we're doing is really important. And the truth of the matter is most of what we do during the week is stuff that needs to happen here, but it's not going to make that much of a difference in eternity. It's not that important. And I think another reason that we're not sensitive is because when you're sensitive to the needs of other people, it will hurt your heart. And most of us, we don't want to have a hurt heart today. So what we do is we become calloused Christians. We harden our hearts. We callous ourselves to the cares, and therefore we are not kind to the people around us. Some of you have calloused yourself to your spouse, your kids, your coworkers. And so you're not being very kind in your marriage, in your home. You're not kind to your kids. You're not kind to your coworkers. And I'm going to tell you, it is easy to be a callous Christian because you don't have to hurt. But can I ask you this question? Who do callous Christians represent? The Savior or Satan? Who do we look like we're on mission for? I would rather be a caring Christian that gets his heart hurt on a regular basis knowing that I represent Jesus Christ and other people know that than a callous Christian who people are always questioning, who's he living for? Is it for himself? The second thing that you and I, the second key in order to cultivate a Christ-like kindness is we've got to be supportive. And not just supportive with what we do, but with our words. Words have the power to bring life and death. It says this, and most of us are familiar, Proverbs 15.1, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And how many of us today are, are speaking harsh words, angry words? And instead of being wise with our words, we're wounding people. And we've all heard the phrase, sticks and stones break my bones, but words will never harm me or hurt me. It's not true. Some of our greatest wounds come from the words that are spoken by people because 
We're just not kind. And so I want to challenge you in the words that you speak. A scripture that has been very helpful to me over the years is Proverbs 3.3. It says this, never let kindness and truth leave you. Do you hear that? Kindness and truth. Bind them around your neck. Inscribe them on the tablet of your heart. In other words, God's saying, I want a permanent tattoo of kindness and truth etched onto your heart so that wherever you go, when you open up your heart to people, it will be a kind heart and a true heart. Now, at VBS, as a leaders, just like at school, we hear lots of fun things from kids and sometimes not fun things. And I'm going to share kind of a funny story with you for a moment. So there's a group of little boys coming up, and every day the gals would do all the check-in, and they did an amazing job on that this, this year. And this little group of boys are coming, and I'm greeting all the kids that are coming, and I said, are you guys ready for VBS? And this one little boy said, yes, I've got my underwear on. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's good. You wear them on the outside of your pants, you're Superman. <laughs> but don't do that. But sometimes that's, that's a parent win, right? I, I got underwear on my kids today, right? But here's a not-so-happy story or funny story. little girl this week was coming up to VBS, and she kind of looked downcast a little bit, looked a little sad. And so I looked at her and I said, well, you look really nice today. How you doing? And she said, my friend said that I'm ugly. And I said, well, you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, you're beautiful. You're a princess. And she said, really? And I said, yeah. And you know what I do? I listen to Jesus. I don't listen to hurtful people. And she said, I'm going to do that. And she started to smile and she skipped away. What did that take? Kindness and truth. You and I have the power to bring life or death into people's lives with our words. Third key to cultivating kindness You and I need to be willing to sacrifice. And here's the hard one. Because we don't like to have to sacrifice. We don't like to have to give up things. But the first sacrifice that you and I are going to have to give up is the sacrifice of self. We're going to have to get over ourselves. We're going to have to be willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. You see, in order for you and I to be kind, we have to sacrifice. And sometimes it's a sacrifice of time. Do you realize one of the greatest sacrifices we can make is time? We think it's money, but you can always make more money. You can't get more time. You can't make more time. It is the greatest gift that you can give to people, your time. Now, Onesiphorus was willing to go to Rome. Paul clearly states that when he was in prison, he was not ashamed of me and he came to Rome. Do you know where he was from? Ephesus. Do you know how far Ephesus is from Rome? 1,200 miles. You ever stop to consider what that journey took? How much time? How much treasure? Can you imagine Onesiphorus saying to his family, look, I got to go, I got to go encourage Paul. Everybody has deserted him and I don't want him to feel like nobody cares. I want him to know that what he's done in the lives of people have mattered because Paul came to Ephesus and Paul shared the gospel and this man got saved and his family started to be part of a church and he wanted to give back for what God had done for him. 
And sometimes God calls us to make some significant sacrifices in order to be kind. But caring and kindness costs. And I want to share a story with you that started a little over a year ago. A lady came to Angel and I and she shared with us, and this is a lady who had recently lost her husband as a widow. He was a good friend of mine, passed away. And she shared about how she had this little bit of money and it was kind of becoming the thing that she was sort of trusting in. It was her safety net. And God was sharing in her devotions that she needed to be willing to give that up and she needed to trust in God, not in that. And that there was a family that had a need and she needed to bring kindness and hope into their life. So she wrote a letter and she put the money in the letter and she put it in a sealed envelope and she came to me and she said, here's the story, you're going to know who the family is. And she handed that to me. Has anyone ever given you some assignment that is weighty like that? You know what that does? That causes you to be sensitive. Because you now are sitting there going, is it this family? Is it that individual? All of a sudden, your eyes are open. Who's the person that has need? That's the way that we should live our lives every day. Week later, a family came in to meet with us. Going through an incredibly hard time, their daughter had tried to take her life. There is no pain like parent pain. And as they sat there bawling, I handed them that envelope and I said, you know, a week ago, God had this for you. Now, I didn't pay all of their bills, but what it did is it brought hope into their life to know that God already had a plan before they ever ran into the problems that they had, that God had been working in a woman's life who was willing to be obedient to the call to be kind. So fast forward to a week ago. That guy and his wife that received that gift, God's been doing some cool things in their family. But they had this little piece of property they've been trying to sell, and it won't sell, and it won't sell. And they're going, God, what's going on? Why, why won't this piece of property sell? And then out of the blue, a guy calls and says, hey, I want to buy that property, and it just sold. And so they took a portion of that, and they put it in an envelope with that original letter from that first lady. And they sealed it, and he showed up at my office, and he shared this with me. Now, I got to tell you, I, I don't have any idea how much money was in that first envelope, but I know that it got a lot thicker. God does that. And he said, you're going to know who it is that needs this. And again, there I was looking around, who is it? A few days later, a lady came in to meet with Angel and I. Been married 40 years. Early in her marriage, she found out that her husband was involved in pornography. And they went and they did counseling and she said, you know what, I'm going to work through this with you. I'm going to stay with you. There had been um, infidelity and she chose to forgive. But she had just discovered that for 40 years he'd been lying and had been involved in a full-blown life of pornography. Infidelity. That's what Jesus calls it. And guys, can I challenge you? Deal with your addictions. Deal with your lust. Kill it with love. The greatest thing that you can do for your wife is to be kind to her by loving her and her only. Having eyes for her and her only. Because here's the thing with the giant of lust. It can't handle love. And if you keep just loving your wife, you will kill that lust in your life. 
I got a potentially scary email this week. The email started out, I've got bad news for you, I've hacked your computer. We've got all this pornography that if you don't pay us this amount of money, we're going to release. And I laughed. Why? I don't have any pornography on my computer. Why? Because I've chosen to focus only on my wife. Can I ask you guys this question? If you got that email, would there be a little bit of a fear in your heart? Is there anything on your phone, anything on your computer that shouldn't be there? You have got to learn to deal with your addictions. Or it will cost you everything. And so here's this woman, a little over 40 years married, going through a divorce. And she said, I know, a Christian lady, she says, I know that God will provide and God will work it out. But I'm going to be honest, Pastor, it's scary. Because I stayed home and I took care of the kids for our whole marriage. And I don't really have any work. I have nothing to show when it comes to Social Security. I said, well, God showed up a week ago. And he gave me this envelope to give to you. And I shared the story with her. And she opened it right there in the office, tore into it. And she pulled out that letter. I'm not kidding you. I have no idea how much, but thousands of dollars fell out. $50 bills all over my office. She didn't look at them. She looked at that letter. And she started to read that letter out loud and wept. And it was a beautiful letter. That's the first time I got to hear that letter. The world would say that the value of paper was in the money. But I'm going to tell you the greatest value in that envelope was those words that were spoken to her. You and I need to understand this about being willing to sacrifice. That there's a cost to caring. But there is also a cost to not caring. And the cost to not caring is greater than the cost of caring. And some of us today, we are, we are paying the price of being calloused and choosing not to care. Number four, fourth key to kindness, searching. Onesiphorus, when he got to Rome, he didn't know where Paul was at for sure. It's a big city. And so he had to ask people. He had to risk his reputation. Can I ask you, why did the other guys that called themselves Christians desert Paul the same reason the disciples deserted Jesus? I want to save my skin. It's all about me. But Onesiphorus, he wasn't afraid to be associated with a prisoner named Paul. And just being associated with him, he could have been put in prison too. He may not have gotten to go home to see his family. But you see, that's what kindness does. It doesn't focus on fear. It focuses on faith. And many of us were not being kind in our marriages because we're being fearful today instead of faithful. Can I ask you this? Do you think kindness just happens or have we got to be intentional? We've got to be intentional, right? Onesiphorus came up with a plan to be kind, and he, he carried it out. He searched. Who are you searching for today to be kind? Every day when I get up, I pray, God, give me at least one person that I can show the kindness of Jesus Christ to. You have to be intentional. You have to look. Two days ago, I was down at the shop. My bike, my bike was in the shop. Don't worry. It's a Harley. It needs a lot of love. <laughs> it's a high-maintenance girl, but it's, it's fun to ride when I can ride it. But anyway, I was in there and this older gentleman walked in and he looked at my bike and he said, is that your bike? And I said, yeah, it's my bike. 
And he said, you got to be careful with those. Those will kill you. He said, back in 1961, I went over the handlebars of a bike, cut my throat, broke my shoulder, broke my ribs, stripped the skin off my legs. He said, you need to be careful. And I said, I got a question for you. I'm awful thankful you didn't die in 1961 because we wouldn't have gotten to meet. And I believe that God had an appointment for us to meet today. But can I ask you this question? You didn't die in 1961, but at some point you will die and I will die. Where are you going to go when you die? And he said, I hope I go to heaven. And I said, well, I don't hope I go to heaven. I know that I'm going to heaven. And here's why. And I got to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And then I asked him this. I said, can I pray with you? And he's like, yeah, I'd love that. And so we prayed right there in the shop. The mechanic that was working on the bike stopped, walked over, put his hands on the guy and prayed with me. You and I can change a culture if we would just learn to be kind. The last key is this, that kindness is storing. Onesiphorus was kind to a man that couldn't be kind back. Paul couldn't do anything for him. He was in prison. But Paul makes a powerful point here and that is this. That when we're kind, even if people don't respond to our kindness, God sees it. And God will reward us, whether it's now or whether it is later. And I want to ask you this question. Where are you banking? Where are you investing? Are you making temporary investments here or eternal investments in the kingdom of God? And so as we close today, I want to give you a couple of practical things that have been helpful to me. I want you to first try to visualize every single person that you meet as valuable beyond measure and loved by God. Because when you see them as valuable and loved by God, you will be kind to them. Secondly, I want you to ask God to change your attitudes and your actions so that everyone you meet, you'll be kind to. Not just the people that you like, but even the people that you may not like, that you would be kind to them. Number three, I want you to be keenly aware of every single opportunity to be kind. Never miss an opportunity to be kind. Even if it's just simply you're sitting in the doctor's office and you see an older person, get up and open the door. Go help them. Help someone cross the street. Smile at someone. Pray for people. Number four, be on an adventure of spreading love through kindness. It's an adventure. And when you and I see it as an adventure, when we pray every day, God... Give me that person that I can be kind to. Your agendas will change. You will go out looking for people to be kind to. So I want to close our time with prayer, and I'm also going to pray for the meal. And before I do, I want to explain how we're going to do the food. So we're going to start at this end by the plates, and you can work your way back around to the condiments, the ketchup and stuff there. And then if you want to head out, you can sit out in the sun or you can sit back in here. But church, let's go love people with kindness. So let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for how you bless us and encourage us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the keys of how to be kind to those around us. And I just pray that you would help us as a church to continue to be that blessing. Thank you for an amazing week. Thank you for keeping kids safe. Thank you for all of the leaders that showed up and sacrificed and were kind and helpful to kids. Thank you for kids that accepted Christ this week. We pray for the food. And Father, I want to thank you for the men and the ladies that have 
gotten all of the chairs and all of the things put up and the hot dogs done. And I pray that you just bless our time together this afternoon. For we pray these things in your name. Amen.